Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. I want to welcome you and uh, thank you for taking time to watch this message that's being delivered on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost Sunday is the day that we remember where the Holy Spirit descended on the early disciples as they gathered in the upper room, a room where they were waiting, where Jesus had told them to wait for the gift of the Father. And that gift was the person of the Holy Spirit who came upon each one of them with tongues of fire and a rushing wind in the room. But it's not so much just that moment that uh, they experienced, but it was the impartation of the Holy Spirit into their lives, that he was not only with them, but he was in them and leading them as he leads us even today. It's a continuation that today we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, not as a historical reference point, but a present reality for us, that we have the Holy Spirit imparted to us as a gift in our life with Jesus Christ so that we can live an empowered life to do the things that Jesus called us to do. We can in, live an informed life speaking what Jesus calls us to speak, and we can live a transformed life because uh, the Holy Spirit is at work conforming us to the image of Christ. And so I pray that you have a uh, blessed Pentecost Sunday and uh, an empowered and a life-changing Pentecost Sunday as you allow the Holy Spirit to transform you. Well, one of the areas that we've been talking about transformation is in relationship to our identity as being made in the image of God. It's our series on the image of God, and I'm wrapping it up with this message. And really the purpose of this series has not been, of course, to answer all of the possible questions related to identity, but instead to help us ask good questions about what it means when we read scripture and we begin to understand that we are made in his image, male and female, that we are created in his image. So there's so much about this topic uh, that is worthy of your uh, study, is worthy of uh, your questioning and being able to go deeper in. And so I invite you to dig deeper. I invite you to take the next step and, and look deeper at this subject. What we do in these messages, these brief times together, and what we do Sunday mornings, uh, it's never exhaustive. It's really just an, an introductive moment, uh, an opportunity to, to look at the Word. It's intended to be a, a Holy Spirit-led invitation to explore God's Word, to develop curiosity, and to challenge each of us to move from things that we uh, have in, in way of assumption, that we just think or we've assumed, uh, and, and lead us to this point of more discovery in God's Word, and to challenge us to move off of those assumptions. And, and the desire then is that we would take those things that are non-essential out of our dogma, and that we would also, those things that are essential, that we would be able to find uh, in such a way in Scripture that they are solidified and they help us be confident in who God is and also who we are. And so this is an important step in our discipleship and our process. It's never just the pastor or somebody like myself who's speaking just imparts to you and you just take that and that's all there is to say about it. No, this is just an introduction. What I have to say about it is really just to get you to think and to explore and to disciple uh, deeper in these areas and to look into scripture and, and challenge those uh, long-held beliefs that maybe you've had that you've never actually done the work yourself to discover what the scriptures say about that. That's, that's uh, such an important part for every Christian not to just take what's delivered to them, but to actually dive into the Word, surrender to the Spirit, and discover for ourselves what does Scripture teach us? What does uh, God have to say about this? And then that will allow me to dispel some things that I've held on to that actually are not emphatic in Scripture. They're just alluded to or they've been passed down to me. And I can move those to the periphery 
and not have them be a focal point for me. And then the things that scripture is clear about, I can elevate those and I can hold on to them tightly and I can speak them with great confidence because I've learned them because you've taken the time to do the research in scripture. And so I wanna encourage you in this area, this is really important that uh, we understand that our time here is always just kind of an introduction into it. There's so much more to, uh, to be experienced. So in the previous message in the series, uh, just this last uh, message that I provided in the series, it was really a setup to this message in how I was emphasizing how that all of humanity, men and women, have fallen into a pattern uh, that, that Romans pointed to in our relationship with God. And, and that pattern being is, is that God has revealed himself to us. And, and so Romans 1 talks about this. It just says, listen, God has shown himself to us. At the most basic level, he reveals himself through the created things, including other people. So we should be able to look around at people and the created things and recognize God exists. And, and so we would be able to say, I know there is a God because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I didn't just happen to become. And the same is true of the people that I see, men and women, I should be amazed and recognize that God exists. Yet, instead of, and this is step two in the, in the progression of our fallen human nature, is instead of worshiping the Creator, we have worshiped other things, including ourselves. That we worship created things instead of the Creator Himself. We make things idols and we image ourselves after those things. So for instance, if money is my idol, my life images that pursuit of money. People know that about me because it, I'm, I'm imaging my life after that pursuit of, of the love of money. If family is my idol, my life images family. Everybody knows that's what I'm building my life around and that's essentially who my God is, is my family because everything in my life focuses towards that. I'm imaged around that. If being accepted is my idol, then my life images what other people want from me because I'm imaging my life around acceptance from others instead of imaging God himself. And, and the unfortunate thing about this, and this is what we spent some time on last in this last message, was that it, when we do that, we become a copy of a created thing rather than an image of the creator himself, which is what we're intended to be, made in the image of God. Well, when this happens, and this is the final kind of step into this, when we worship created things rather than the creator, I trade the glory of the living God and being an image bearer, and I accept, instead, I accept being a copy of a copy, which is dishonoring both to me, but more importantly, it's dishonoring to God. So the most visible expression of this throughout history is when men exchange the image of God in women, and instead of re-imaging themselves, uh, instead of imaging after God, they re-image themselves in the relationship with another man. And women do likewise, men with men, women with women. Because remember, God's pattern for saying that he wants to portray his image is in men and women. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, apart from a woman that I don't bear God's image, I do, but I bear it uniquely and as a man and a woman bears God's image uniquely as a woman. But what I am saying is that when we worship ourselves and we worship created things, then the most clear picture of when that happens is when men embrace the relationship of same-sex relationship with another man because that's a broken image of God. It is imaging themselves after themselves and women doing likewise, imaging themselves after the image of a woman, instead of recognizing that it's not their own image that they're to pursue, but it's the image of God as found in the opposite of themselves. And so instead of male-female as the image of God, mankind chooses another of the same to try and redefine God's image in their way, in, in who they are, as opposed to allowing God to define himself in them. So what I've just stated is a historical reality, and it's also a present reality. This, 
this has gone on <clears throat> and it will continue to go on throughout human history. This is really in the DNA of people. This is what we refer to in, uh, in scripture and, and within the church as the fallen nature of humankind. So when we are born into the world, this is the pattern or the history that we fall into. We, we see the creator in the created things, but instead we worship the creation. And then in worshiping the creation, we image ourselves and we begin to worship. In essence, we worship ourselves and whatever it is that we want. So for our time together, I want us to go simply beyond this idea of identifying what it means to be a broken image bearer. Um, I, I want us to uh, go beyond just brokenness in image bearing and how we've missed the mark to being God's image bearers. I, I believe that far too often uh, as the church and myself as, as a follower of Christ, far too often we take on this role of being descriptive of what's happening and we tell ourselves and we tell the world what is wrong but we miss the opportunity to be prescriptive. And by that, I mean telling one another and the world that there is a way of freedom, that there is a gospel, there is a good news that we can experience and not just being descriptive of the problem, but being prescriptive of the solution. And I want us to see an opportunity to uh, be prescriptive in talking about the good news of Jesus Christ and how that can be transformative to those who are dealing with broken image bearing in their life. So uh, let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll take a little bit more time to uh, delve into this idea of being image bearers made in the image of God and what that looks like. Lord, thank you for your word and that it is both. It's descriptive and that it tells us what's the, the human condition and what our problem is and what we're dealing with. But I thank you that it doesn't stop there. God, I thank you that you didn't just stop by telling us what our problem is. But Lord, you give us hope in Jesus Christ that you are prescriptive and that you so loved us that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to change the narrative from what is and what was to what can be in new life in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, during this time, as we understand more deeply what it means to be image bearers and how the world has twisted that and how we can be something different, uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is active and at work within us today, uh, would speak to us, would illuminate your word and change us from the inside out. Amen. Well, let's start by highlighting how we as followers of Jesus might actually participate, unfortunately, we participate in distorting God's image. And instead, we sometimes join with the culture in putting forward cultural images or broken images of uh, men and women. Now, I think one of the best voices on this uh, currently and has been speaking about this over the past few years has been a a woman by the name of Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, she's written and spoken about her own experience uh, with same-sex attraction and God's healing and direction in this area in her life. And I want us to watch this short clip. And uh, it's in it, she is doing an interview with Jim Daly of Focus on the Family. And she talks about how we in the church add to the voices of the culture instead of pointing people in another way. And I think it's really helpful what she has to say. So uh, let, let's watch this. So to pick up the story then, uh, maybe around junior high, I'm not sure, correct me if I'm wrong, you started to dress more like a man. High school. High well, school. After okay. high school, yeah. And, uh, and you obviously were recognizing or accepting uh, the same sex attraction that you had. Was it exclusive to that? Did you... Uh, only have that desire for other girls and guys were like not not even interesting <laughs> to you i mean they're cute and they were cute um but I, I think the thing that women had was they had the ability to have my emotions because again i was afraid to give my emotions to someone that would abuse them or take advantage um in my entire life women had always seemed faithful um and so for me that's what it was i think the 
uh, dressing more masculine. Honestly, I think that's super complicated. I think a part of it is that I never was the hyper feminine kind of female. Didn't like pink, don't like lip gloss, still don't wear purses, kind of sometimes because I don't want to hold my phone in my hand all the time. But, you know, I, I, I wasn't that kind of person. But I think when you grow up in this culture where you don't want to wear dresses, the automatic thing that they tell you is you're being a tomboy. Hmm. or you're acting like a boy. Um, I think they do the same thing to boys that might lean more emotional. You're acting like a girl as if emotions are a feminine trait. They're actually human. And so I think a pro I was being a product of the culture telling me that I was not woman enough because I was not fitting the mold of what they said women were to be. Um, and I think that's one thing that I would like the church and people to change is how we inspire and inform people about gender. I think our trans, uh, the, the, the wave in like trans and identity is a product of what we have been telling people women are and what telling people what men are. And so I think we're just reaping the fruits of not uh, teaching what the Bible says about gender. Well, and the obvious question is how, how can that be done? I mean, how do we reinforce those the binary gender. I yeah. mean, it, I think we know. need to deconstruct our understanding of gender and look at what look at it through the lens of scripture. For so absolutely, so does the Bible say that being a woman means you wear pink? Does the Bible <laughs> say not. that being overly emotional makes you feminine? Does right. the you you get what I'm saying? Like we've made these kinds of things Bible, and they don't exist in the scriptures. You know, that is so aptly put. She states it so well that we've made things Bible, but they don't exist in Scripture. And that's such a hard truth to hear about as followers of Jesus because we're called to do more than that. We, we don't want to muddy the water for people. We want to make Jesus and the life-giving power and life-changing power he's brought to us through his death and resurrection. We want that to be as clear as possible. But unfortunately, uh, we, we've made things Bible that actually don't exist in Scripture. And we, we, we want to change that. We want to see that my heart is that we would see something different. Now, this is not a, an attempt to take a shot at Christians, but it is... Uh, it is a call, as Jackie stated, to deconstruct what it means to be male and female in light of Scripture instead of shaping our views in alignment or in opposition to the world around us. And what I mean by that is that the kingdom of God is otherworldly. And so you don't learn what it means to be Christ-like or Christian by simply doing the opposite of the world. That doesn't, just doing the opposite of the world doesn't make you Christ-like. You learn and by knowing and living out Scripture and being led by the Holy Spirit to live as Jesus lived and saying what Jesus said and doing what Jesus did. This is what it means to be otherworldly. Uh, Jesus talked regularly about his kingdom was not of this world, it was from a different place. And so they didn't know. He said, you don't know about it. You don't understand how it works. Uh, it's not from here. You can't take from this world and create the kingdom of God. It has to come from heaven to earth. And, and this is where we in the church have at times got it a little bit twisted is that we have just said, well, let's do the opposite of the world. That's in the right direction. That's repentance but it's not restoring us to our rightful place in the kingdom. It's not bringing the kingdom just because we do the opposite of the world. And so in, in this time that we have together, what I wanna do is contrast what roles are between men and women versus the identity that men and women have as image bearers of God. Because sometimes what we do is we take, again, cultural norms or roles and we either embrace them or if we feel like they don't align with what we think is, is good, we just do the opposite. When instead, we want to embrace an idea about our identity as image bearers of God. We want to find that out of Scripture and, and we want to understand uh, how we should real more clearly see ourselves. So first, let's differentiate roles and hobbies from image bearing because this can be confusing sometimes. In fact, uh, in the church, sometimes we propagated these roles and hobbies as ways that we say, this is what a man looks like and this is what a woman looks like. We've affirmed uh, 1950s classic, the woman stays at home, the man works. Well, this is Bible. Well, 
you're not going to find that in the Bible. You're going to find women who have been very engaged. In fact, uh, the, the, the most common viewpoint in scripture about the idyllic woman is Proverbs 31. Well, she's buying and selling land. She's uh, making things. She's a very uh, uh, entrepreneurial woman. And so you're not going to find a woman who is just sitting at home passively or even just sitting at home or actively just at home with her kids and only doing childcare. That, that's part of it. It does speak to her as a mother and caring for her family, but she does a whole lot more than that. And so these roles are stereotypes that we sometimes propagate within the church. Um, we have a hard time finding them in scripture because they're just images from a, a prior time or cultural norm that we uh, sometimes insert into the church. So how are roles and hobbies different from image bearing? Well, here's a couple of my roles, for example. One, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church. That's a role that I have. But I haven't always been a pastor. Uh, but when I'm in this role, I see myself in a certain light and others view me a certain way as well. But when I wasn't a pastor, I was still an image bearer of God. And so my role can't define whether or not I'm an image bearer. It just is a role that I'm in at the moment. So I'm also a husband and father. Uh, obviously, I wasn't born, married, and with children. Uh, that was a role that I stepped into. I was married at a young age. I was 21 years old, and I've been married for 30 years. So. Uh, I also became a father at the age of 25. So most of my adult life, I've been a husband and a dad. But those roles did not make me an image bearer. Uh, I was in God's image before I ever became a husband or a father. So we can't say that our roles make us male or female. Uh, they're things that we do. They're... they're um, occupations, their, their ways that we interact with other people in our particular, any given role that we have, but they don't make us the image bearer of God. They're things and positions we have and titles that we have. What about hobbies? Uh, well, I like building things, but I'm not mechanical. I like hiking and the outdoors, but I'm not a hunter. I enjoy sports but I avoid pain and heavy adrenaline-driven activities. So I don't know what you make out of all of that. Some of those may seem affirming as more male-like hobbies, and others you may scratch your head and say, well, I thought men like to hunt. Uh, so if you don't like to hunt, what does that <laughs> make you? Uh, in fact, in contrast, I've met women who are better than me at many of the things that sometimes are appropriated to men. For example, um, I have met females who are better auto mechanics than I am. In fact, I already shared with you, I just try to avoid it altogether. But I have met some women who are quite uh, adept at working around a, a car. Uh, in sports, I've met uh, women who are more outdoorsy and who fish and hunt better than I do and fully enjoy it. Whereas sometimes I would rather be back home and uh, in, in the warmth of my, and comfort of my own bed than being outdoors. I have found women who are better and stronger uh, athletes than I am, uh, faster, stronger, and, and uh, more skilled at certain sports. Um, I found women who are tougher than I am. They can have more pain tolerance than I have. And so all of these things, right, these, whether they're hobbies or attributes, we tend to ascribe them and we separate them out while they're male and female. Now, there certainly are physiological differences. We'll get to that in a moment. But oftentimes, we, we try to identify in the image of God, male and female, he created them. And we try to then attach roles or hobbies, uh, interests, and we say, well, that's what makes you male or that's what makes you female. So the challenge is, is that those can really cross over and those tend to be more cultural adaptations of maleness and femaleness than they have to do with actual being made in God's image as a man or a woman. So when we 
talk about being made in God's image, we have to be looking at something other than roles and hobbies. So what about clothing and dress? This is kind of an interesting one. When I was young, do you wanna know what the big topic was? Here, here's what the conversation around my lunchroom was uh, when I was in early on in school, junior high, high school. Do pink shirts or a pierced ear mean that you are gay if you're a boy wearing a pink shirt or have your ear pierced? Now to some of you, you will uh, affirm because you come from a generation, you'll say, absolutely, that's what it means. And then others of you will just be shaking your head and thinking, are you kidding me? That was the topic. Uh, piercings are so common now, both male and female, and all manner of clothing, all colors, they're not gender specific. And so you're just shaking your head thinking, how could that have been the conversation? But it was. Um, guys who dressed in nice shirts and, and growing up, nice shirts and slacks usually, usually were labeled as being light in the loafers. Um, the typical guy just wore t-shirt and jeans or t-shirt and shorts. And so this is an idea that is similar to what Jackie Hill Perry indicated in her video, that she didn't gravitate to dresses and pretty girly things. It just wasn't something that she liked and still is, is not really drawn to and, and doesn't uh, spend much time focused on those things. So she was told that she was acting and dressing like a boy. And, and so this tends to come up again is how does dress play into our identity, male and female? Well, the truth is that, that clothing is largely a cultural thing. And so a couple thousand years ago, men wore tunics with a belt and sandals, like this one that's on the screen. And so if you were walking on a trail now and you came across this guy, you would have some serious questions as to what you stumbled upon. It looks somewhat feminine, a tunic and belt and sandals. Looks like something more what a woman might wear in our modern time. In contrast, if someone from that era came forward and uh, landed in the 1950s, they would have some serious questions of their own about this hairstyle that you can see in this picture. So the, the reality is that our clothing and styles are not so much uh, the focal point of who we are as image bearers. They do have cultural appropriation. And so we certainly use clothing and styles as norms for how we see ourselves or how we want others to see us, but they're not what make us uniquely male or female. So again, to be clear, uh, if as a man, I want to be viewed more feminine and we, we know that men who want to be viewed through a light of being more feminine, they'll wear clothing. They might even wear female dresses or wear makeup or do things that cause them to be viewed by others in a more female perspective. And similarly, uh, females uh, cutting their hair in a certain style, wearing certain clothing that would cause people to look at them through the lens of a more male identity. However, again, this is largely cultural. And so we use clothing in that way, but what I wear doesn't make me man, male in God's image. What you wear as a female doesn't make you female in God's image. So now we get to a really important one, and this is kind of the last one that I'll highlight in the way that we affirm. And, and that's really the intent of my time in this message up to this point is to help us see that sometimes we join in the conversation that's in the culture and we affirm or we refute uh, maleness or femaleness in the same way that the culture does. And again, remember that you know, we are part of the culture, but we're called to bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And so we need to have a message that focuses on more than roles, hobbies, uh, clothing or hairstyles, we, we need to move the conversation more to how God sees us and how we bear his image. So in this next one, this is a really important one. Uh, what about our physiology? So our physical makeup. What does being male have to do with a physical makeup or female with the physical makeup? And so more than any other area, uh, this is what many people will point to and say, well, this is easy. 
This is really easy. Just look at your physiology. And if you have boy parts, then you're a boy. If you have girl parts, then you're a girl. And so it's very simplistic in that way. And just saying your physiology will tell you if you're male and female or made in God's image as a man or a woman. Now, many Christians, so this is kind of the voice in the culture, but many Christians would echo this. They would say this, definitely this, our physiology is what makes us a man or woman in the image of God. Now, here's what we do know about, without a doubt, um, we, we know about our physiology and being male or female. Here it is on the screen, your chromosomes. Chromosomes, this is the genetic truth about being male and female. This is science. You have two X chromosomes and you're female or a X and Y chromosome and you are a male. And that's about as far as I'm going to go with my biology teaching for today. But this, this is what we know about the genetics of being male or female. So in this way, our physiology determines if we're physically male or female, the X and the Y chromosomes. Anything I say is not intended to refute that truth. That is true. That is a scientific truth. That's a reality. And so I'm not saying or going to say anything that refutes that. Absolutely, our genetic makeup determines our gender as male or female. So in light of this, it makes sense then that many people struggle with gender identity since the human genetic makeup has within it the capacity for variation as well as brokenness. Now, what do I mean by this? <laughs> Am I saying that God makes mistakes or uh, God puts a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body? No. So let me remove those off the shelf first, first take. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if we understand that human genetics in this fallen world are not in perfection, then it certainly makes sense that Christians above any others who believe that the world has a fallen experience and the, the curse has come upon humanity, then more than any others, any other people, Christians should understand why identity issues exist within our culture. Christians can affirm that we are made in God's image, but we can also understand that our physical makeup experiences the brokenness that came with the fall of mankind. So in this sense, we have the capacity for variation, which means we're not all alike physically, but also, as I alluded to just a moment ago, there is brokenness within the human condition and not just spiritual condition, but physical condition. So the first thing that people struggle with when they think about their identity and affirming male and female uh, identity is that people struggle with variation in physiology. My physical makeup has the capacity to express more male attributes or less male attributes than another individual. And likewise with a female. A female may have more or less uh, expression in her physical attributes that affirm whether or not she views herself or others view her as female or less female. Now, this is not brokenness within the human condition. This is just variation between people. We might identify one as more male and another as being more female based on what we perceived, uh, we perceive to be their physical makeup. Now, this world takes this variation between one man to another man or one woman to another woman. And what happens is I believe it's from the principalities and powers of this world, the enemy who always speaks lies and speaks confusion and it gets propagated in the world around us. And it takes this variation and it says you are or you aren't something because of your physical makeup. You're not enough male or you're not enough female. 
And, and so this is where the enemy really speaks into people's lives. And for the young man who has less muscle development saying, you're not man enough, and so inserts, and you, you like to then affirms his hobbies or things that he engages in and affirms it, female attributes and speaks female attributes over him. Likewise, females who don't receive affirmation because they don't have enough female physiology they, in their variation, they don't look female enough to the culture around them, then the enemy takes that and inserts confusion and the world around them affirms that. And so whether you're, the reality is whether you're shaped like an hourglass or a pear, you're not diminished by your differences. The world says you are. The images it puts forward says that there is a certain amount of femaleness or amount of maleness that then makes you those things. But the, the followers of Jesus have a unique opportunity to speak to the variation that exists within all of humanity and say that the fact that you're not like somebody else is identifying that God is so unique and he sees each person unique in his image. And so we have a way of sharing a good news message to those who don't look like the image that the culture puts out there, that I believe the enemy puts out there to affirm either being male or female. Now, people not only struggle with variation in the physiology and that causes them to question maleness or femaleness, but people actually struggle with brokenness in physiology. And this goes back to what I pointed to that happened in the fall of mankind. When we were removed from eternal life with God, where our bodies uh, were to be in, in harmony and do what God spoke into them to do, that we have seen since that time this brokenness within our physiology. So this maybe more than any other area is where Christians can affirm the work of Christ. When we see an inability of a person to reconcile their genetic makeup and their identity as male or female, we should be the most clear voice. And when I say clear voice, I don't mean most clear voice of condemnation, but clear voice of compassion. Have you ever experienced a moment in your life where there was a conflict between what you knew and what you experienced. Imagine if that was not only a momentary reality, but an ongoing conflict where you were struggling with reconciling your physiology with how you felt about yourself and maybe even how others perceived you. Imagine a man who struggles to feel male, but what he hears from Christians is that he's just a perverted degenerate who is disgusting to other people and to God. Or a female that's been rejected over and over by men because her physiology is more boyish, so she has embraced that identity. I believe the church can have the loudest voice that brings people who are struggling with gender identity into a closer relationship with God that heals those broken places and can affirm them being made in God's image. Again, I'm not speaking about denying the, the scientific realities of male and female in chromosomes. I'm saying there is brokenness in those chromosomes at times. Not everybody comes out exactly the same. Not everybody's genetic makeup affirms that maleness or femaleness. And so to simply say, to look at your genetic makeup, to look at your physiology, and that'll give you the answer, is short-sighted and it's not enough to bring hope and a gospel message to the people that you and I meet. It's too simplistic and quite honestly, it lacks compassion and understanding of what people genuinely go through and struggle with. Church, we should be at the forefront, not of condemnation, but of, of consolation, forefront of compassion to people struggling with gender identity, gender confusion in their life, not mocking it, but coming alongside and saying, my dear brother or sister, please, man, hear this, woman, hear this. God has hope for you. The, the 
the pain or the, the struggle that you've been dealing with, Christ has a way forward for you to experience hope and redemption and peace with him instead of the confusion and the conflicting voices that the world is speaking into you. This, this I believe where the church can shine unlike any other because we understand the brokenness of humanity. We understand that our bodies don't do what they were originally designed to do. We understand that there's conflict and confusion among this idea of our physiology and our gender and our sense of identity. Oh, I would pray that we as a church can move out of the position where we have, have unfortunately pinned ourselves in, in the light of culture as being angry and, and, and being the, the group that is mocking and being the group who has so little compassion for those who are struggling and who are facing and dealing with gender and identity issues. Instead, that we would move towards the forefront of being people who have the love of Christ and, and can point a way forward to wholeness and to healing in that area. Well, how do we do this? And I'll finish with this scripture because I think it's so important that always in our time together that we point back to why we believe that we have hope in Christ and how scripture leads us in this direction. Stay with me because this the scripture may sound counterintuitive, but the reality is the, the reason you and I can speak to this area is because we've lived it, is because it's our experience. Now, some of you may be saying, wait, I've, I've never had gender confusion or gender identity issues. I've, I've never had same-sex attraction. And I recognize that's not everybody's issue, but everybody has dealt with sin. So we can speak to this because we understand the brokenness that we've experienced in our own identity in trying to make a name for ourselves, in following the same pathway that Romans pointed to of instead of worshiping the creator, we've worshiped ourself, which has led us to a point where we've come to an end of ourself. We found life so unsatisfying. First Corinthians six verses 12 through 20 point to this, how this was our way before Christ, how we fell into these same things. But then we learned something, not to cause us to be proud, but to cause us to come in humbly before God. Let's read this together, look at it together. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you, have been, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Well, listen, one of the primary ways that broken identity expresses itself is through sexual sin. And this is what's being pointed to in 1 Corinthians 6. This is true of hetero individuals and also those with same-sex attraction. When we when we as people struggle with identity and we attempt to affirm our image apart from God, it most commonly shows up in how we express ourselves physically, male or female. And so this portion of scripture is pointing this to this understanding that when we do that, we're not just sinning against uh, a, a abstract thing. We're actually sinning against our own bodies because we're joining this image of God to something that is unholy, something that is not in God's image. We're joining Christ himself to something other than what he wants us to join to. We're not 
mirroring him, we are joining him to something that is much less than. We have great hope that we've received in Jesus Christ. What everyone else is saying that you just give in and give and do whatever your body tells you to, the Christian has a profoundly different message that says you are not driven by your appetites. You have the freedom to live in Christ and be united to him, free from being enslaved to appetites and desires of the flesh. Hallelujah. I hope I can get an amen out of you because the reality is this is what we saw in Romans is that if we get enslaved by our appetites, it is a never ending bondage. And praise be to God through who Christ Jesus has set us free from the sin that entangled us and not only set us free, but keeps us free by imparting us. And this is what he says in this portion, he, by imparting to us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and that we are the temple. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because he's in us, he sets us free from being enslaved. That means that the man who's attracted to the man doesn't have to be enslaved to that desire. He can be set free to live for Christ. That may mean that that uh, base desire, that underlying desire doesn't go away. That sin desire still exists, but it does mean that he doesn't have to be enslaved to it. The woman who's in, been enslaved to an identity as less than, and she feels like she's more of a man than a woman, doesn't have to be enslaved to that identity that the enemy has spoken over her or the world has spoken over her. Instead, she has the freedom to live as an image bearer, as a woman made in the image of God who is full of the Holy Spirit and doesn't have to unite herself to, uh, to that enslaved appetite that she's had in the past. That means that the man who has a, a, an attraction to women in an unhealthy way that draws him to pornographic images, who has drawn him to broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. It means that he is not enslaved to that appetite of sexual sin, that Christ has set him free. Christ has set her free. Christ has set all of us free in such a way that we can live for Christ and our bodies should demonstrate that. Our bodies should be a reflection of the internal work that Christ has done to set us free, that we're no longer enslaved by appetites, but that we can live as image bearers because of what Jesus has done. I'm not saying in any way that this is easy, but I am saying it's possible. I'm not saying that it's something that you just happens automatically. Sometimes there's immediate deliverance and we always pray that God would deliver us in immediate ways. But I am saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a way to disciple with Jesus where your body honors him as an image bearer, as a man or a woman created in his image. No matter what your physiology is expressing by feeling that it's not enough or your physiology is telling you because it's experienced brokenness, because it's not made in the way that God's original design would have called it to, that there can be freedom that you experience because God has set you free as an image bearer through Christ Jesus and filled you with his Holy Spirit. So let me finish with this main idea. The gospel message about identity is that we can experience freedom in Christ if we pursue God's glory in our bodies and not self-satisfaction. This is counterintuitive to the world's message. The world's message says you only experience freedom when you pursue what feels good to you. You'll only experience freedom if you just give in to what you feel about yourself or what others affirm about you. That is not a freedom message. I have seen over and our world has seen over and over, people get bound up in that message and it becomes a mental, mentally confusing and heartbreaking story retold over and over again, where there's heartbreak after heartbreak, there's confusion that goes into an individual's life. But the message of hope, the message of, that Christ has set us free is one that when we pursue God's glory in our bodies and not self-satisfaction, we can find freedom in our mind and in our spirit and in our lives to follow him and to know him. This is true for those who have experienced brokenness and same-sex identity. And this is true for those who have been broken by cultural comparison. This is true for those who have been broken by physiology that leaves them feeling less than a man or less than a woman. 
So follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you. You can affirm this message in those around you that we can have a message of hope that is not uh, that doesn't lack compassion, but instead is full of the heart of God for men and women who are facing on an ongoing basis image and identity issues as men and women. We can speak to those places. What do they need to hear from you? Listen, they don't need you to affirm or reject them based on their sexuality, based on their hobbies, based on their clothing. They don't need your approval or disapproval one way or the other. What they do need to know is that there's hope in Jesus Christ for them to live as the man that God has called them to be, the woman that God has called them to be. That you would remind them that they're pursued by God and loved by God. And I know many Christians are concerned that they'll give the wrong message or they'll affirm the wrong type of message. Listen, whenever you affirm that God loves a person, that's never the wrong message to affirm. You can affirm that message while also pointing them in the direction of being a true image bearer of God as a man or a woman created in his image. Well, I pray for you throughout this week and going forward that you would live in the fullness of God's image in your life as a man or a woman created to reflect his glory in your life, that you wouldn't be a copy of somebody else and that you would call out being an image bearer for other men and women that you come across, that you would affirm not so much their hobbies, not their dress, and maybe not even their physiology affirming things, but that you would look to that they are a man or woman created in God's image because he loves them, because he's given his son for them, and because he's redeeming them and willing to fill them with the Holy Spirit to be the temple of the Holy Spirit in their life. God bless you as you do it, and may you experience it in your life as well. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.